This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Shall we begin? succession will be challenged. Knives will come out. War is afoot. Do you think the realm will ever accept me as their queen? A woman would not inherit the Iron Throne. Because that is the order of things. When I'm queen, I will create a new order. Have you never imagined yourself on the Iron Throne? I wonder what that shows about. Is it about the Iron Throne? I think so. I think so. It, it has to be, right? <laughs> You're listening to Popcorn Culture with Sharmila and Arvin. Uh, Lynn is away, so you've got just the two of us this week. Um, and has she gone to war? Who has knows? Has she gone to battle? Well, I hope there are dragons involved, no matter what it is. Mm. We are reviewing uh, the... Well, the, the series has just closed, House of the Dragon. We did the opening episode a few weeks back. Now the... All the episodes have dropped, so we're going to talk about whether our feelings have changed, uh, whether we like the show more or less. Um, just to say, I think, at least for me, framing it from the start, there were a few rough episodes in, in between where I kind of wondered whether this was still working for me. But by the end, oh, I loved season one of House of the Dragon. I mean, like, what an amazing season, right? Like, an amazing, amazing, amazing season. Um, it's insane how they can make you care about extremely slow and boring things and boring people and bad people. <laughs> Just people who are, like, the worst, the scum of the earth, right? Um, and they make you, like, invest in them and emotionally care about them and want to see what they do next. Um, just because they create, like, such deep and rich characters. Like, the writing is so good. Um, I, I, I started this season on a high, like we spoke about when we did the, the pilot review. And by the end of it, um, it just made me remember all the reasons why I love, love, love Game of Thrones. Like I adore Game of Thrones. And just this just sort of like emphasized all of those good things. So it's interesting you should mention that because exactly that, right? This is Game of Thrones. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a spin-off, a prequel, whatever you want to call it. But on the other hand, it's also not Game of Thrones. And that goes back to the stuff you just said. Uh, it's a lot slower, for one. There's a lot less moving around. So you don't get the sort of moving across different, uh, different not lands, different territories, I suppose. Uh, the different uh, keeps, as it were. Instead, a lot of this is very much centered on just a few locations. A lot of it is centered indoor. So the vibe is very different. It's very political as well. So you're right that um, on the one hand, you get all of the Game of Thrones scumminess and grossness and politicking. But on the other hand, you don't get a lot of you don't get as much of the uh, action as you might be used to from the previous show. And I think how much you enjoy House of the Dragon might also depend on which parts of Game of Thrones you enjoyed the most. Um, just to say, if you're new to the series, if you haven't yet watched any of it, it's a succession struggle. Uh, the whole season, the whole season sets up a civil war that's about to come, uh, where two branches of the Targaryen family are going to 
I guess, fight for the throne. That's what it looks like it's going to be anyway. And this season essentially sets up that it ends at um, a very particular point in this story. Um, and I think very important to say the the major thrust of this season is the potential appearance of the very first Targaryen queen in the form of Rhaenyra Targaryen, who has been named as heir by her father, Viserys. Uh, but Viserys's son from a uh, from his second wife Aegon uh, is now in contention for the throne as well so that's where that's where this season kind of uh that's what this this season has laid out for us and that's what we have ahead of us you know what i love about that whole uh, synopsis and that summary that you just did is that the dragons are not the core <laughs> of the story like, i thought you were going to say that i left out all the incest yeah, yeah. So that that can be left out. Like that's for people to be surprised and shocked by when they watch this uh, show. But you know, we didn't mention uh, dragon names. Mm. We didn't talk about the the different kinds of dragons and who owns what dragon. And you would think, right? You would think that this series would focus primarily on these these things, like these mythological creatures, and and how they factored into the the war and the battles and this family, which they do. But this season particularly does not use dragons at the core so they are in the background they they show up from time to time but it's not a gimmick uh the people make the show like the characters make the show they move the show forward it is their uh, complexities and the way they scheme against each other and they are, they agreed they they all want the throne so they all are, are lusting for power they love power um and i think that's what that's what the show is about i i don't know if season 2 is going to stick with the same thing because the finale uh, gave us all the cgi but I, I kind of like the pacing. I, I, I hope they stick with this pacing for at least a couple of seasons before they go full swing into like, you know, full-blown dragon battles in the sky, fire and blood stuff. Yeah, it's not about the dragons until it suddenly is. And then you're mm. like, whoa, okay, this is what it is. I agree. I was glad that the season didn't do the thing that some other shows do where they feel like they're running out of time to impress you. And yep. so they start front-loading all the the big things, right? The heavy hitters. Instead, I, I one of the best things about House of the Dragon, the first season at least, is that it really takes its time. It takes its time building the characters. It takes its time telling the stories. It takes its time setting the different alliances and the different relationships that emerge during the course of the show. And I think that's why you're willing to forgive even some of the more... I mean, I had some issues with the show, right? It did feel at certain points like they were deliberately moving people in particular directions so that you'd get the outcome they outcome they want. Uh, there were some characters that straight up just felt like they needed to rip off specific tropes from Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. um, and that I didn't appreciate. But I did appreciate how deliberate this, this show was. I appreciated that it didn't rush through to, okay, dragons, fire, war, here's what's going to happen. Um, I wanted to ask you, because you talked about characters, and one very important aspect of this is the time jumps because what we get is um, kind of similar to what the crown does. They, they recast particular actors, uh, particular characters, uh, specifically Renera, who was first played by Millie Alcock and then was later played by Emma Darcy, um, a few other characters as well, because you see them growing up. Uh, did you like that? Did that work for you? Uh, not really. So, and, and I, I, I don't think I would have cared about the time jump so much if we got Millie Alcock all the way 
Um, I'm Ooh, not saying that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I I love Emma Darcy. Uh, by the end of it, I completely I am sold. I am like this is Renera, and and I cannot wait to see what happens. Um, but it it was because we suddenly. Uh, were removed from Millie Alcock as Renera that I felt the time jumps were very jarring. So I was like, oh man, I wish we got to see more of her because she's so captivating. She's so magnetic. Her performance is amazing. Um, and and her sort of like her, her need to have the throne is very, very believable. So I didn't know if Emma Darcy could do the same thing. And, and, and in the beginning, I didn't see the connection. She was like a completely different person until slowly you start to see the, the threads and the strings and then the connections between the two, right? So I think that was the only thing. Other than that, um, no, uh, didn't bother me as much. It's just basically switching actors that, that felt a bit like off to me. I thought I would dislike it more than I ended up um, ended up doing honestly, mm. and I think that's because I don't think Millie Alcock could have done what Emma Darcy did with the role in the latter half of the season, um, and that's just a product of her being a much younger actress and and not yeah. necessarily having perhaps a kind of gravitas that Emma Emma Darcy brings to it. Um, I was also very happy with the switch uh, of Alison Hightower. Um, so Emily Carey plays her when she's young, and then Olivia Cook plays her when she's older. And I think that switch in in casting worked very well. There were a couple of other, particularly the uh, Targaryen. Uh, Targaryen boys, the younger boys. I, I was so glad when they recast with the older actors because the younger actors were not were a bit much. Like they were a little too precocious, and so I'm glad they didn't just do aging makeup. Um, mm-hmm. So I I didn't mind it, and I think it added an interesting layer to the show. Um, but that said, I I think there were <laughs> there have been a lot of memes floating around about how uh, Fabian Frankel, for instance, who plays Sir Kristen Cole, literally oh. doesn't age throughout the show while everyone else around him has been aging. So it presents a few odd um, things where you know on the one hand you have uh, Paddy Considine as Viserys just literally wasting away in front of your eyes, <laughs> and then you have some actors who look the same you know over the course of twenty years, yeah. um, and I'm not sure that the show thought about it enough, like Matt Smith. Um, I, Matt Smith, yeah. yeah. Matt Smith's the brother who apparently got all the age genes. He got all the age genes. I know they give him like a couple of wrinkles by the by the final episode, you could notice. Um, but I was like, he looks exactly the same. Like this Matt Smith looks like the Matt Smith we saw in the beginning of the, the season, which I think in between there was a there was a 15-year time jump, if not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it moved like a full 15 years, which also also makes me wonder like what's gonna happen in the, the next season and the season after that, uh, like how however many seasons they have planned, like how fast are they going to speed through these characters? And are we going to get like different, a completely different set of people by the time this show is done? Which I don't know how I feel about that because I've come to love these people so, so, so much. Like I want to see what happens to them more than switching them up for other Targaryens down the line. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So, because I liked Millie Alcock so much, uh, it actually did make me a little bit sad when I realized, oh, I'm not actually going to see her anymore in the show. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, oh, you know, I, not that I know of anyway. Um, but it seems unlikely, right? And you're right that while it makes sense to use different actors, you do feel a little bit shortchanged when you get attached to certain characters. So for instance, you get attached to Arya Stark in season one. If you didn't see her, that actress, complete her arc in the in the final season, would you love it as much? I'm I'm not sure. So that's actually really and that's a point that I hadn't thought about. Um, anyway, we are reviewing House of the Dragon season one. 
Let us know. Have you watched it? Is it working for you? Um, is it giving you the Game of Thrones vibes? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You're listening to Popcorn Culture with Sharmila and Arvin, and we're reviewing the first season of House of the Dragon. So we've talked about the story, the structure, the vibe of the show. I think we have to talk about the performances because for me, this show lives and dies by the strength of its performances and its characters, led by, I'm just going to say it, my MVP for this season, Paddy Considine. I mean, he is, I, I did not expect him to put in such an amazing performance because we've seen him in a bunch of other things. Um, he does comedy quite a lot. Mm. Um, but, you know, just just seeing the kind of gravitas that he brought to the season without getting into the details, that was amazing. Um, seeing Matt Smith do something else in the beginning of the season and then become sort of like subtle and, and in the background by the, the later half of the season, that was something. And just seeing the depth of his performance, he was... I, because he's such a famous face, um, I was kind of skeptical in the beginning if he would be able to pull off this role specifically. But I think he is amazing as Damon and, and a staple, like now a staple of Game of Thrones mythology. But Emma Darcy, I mean, Game of Thrones fashion has always been something like the the clothes and, and just that, that tactile feel of everything. And by the end of the season, you see her wearing the things that she does, the, the the Targaryen attire and the colors, you're like, man, you know, she looks awesome. Just the same way Amelia Clark did mm. um, in certain scenes. And, and by the end of the, that show, right, Emma Darcy is amazing as Rhaenyra. Uh, I think the thing I find amazing about House of the Dragon is that Viserys Targaryen, as played by Paddy Considine, is not a hero. He's not the king you root for. He's not even a Ned Stark in that he's ultimately decent and good and you kind of want him to, um, you know, live <laughs> at the very least. Uh, but I think the genius of Viserys is that there's something about the way Paddy Considine plays him. He's ineffectual. He's clearly not meant to be the king. He's just probably happier sitting somewhere archiving things and, you know, playing with his kids. Learning his history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the the tragedy of that character. Um, I feel like this is something we've never seen in a show like Game of Thrones. The the burden of ruling, the, the tragedy of needing to play this Game of Thrones and what that does to a person. Um, and oh, there are some episodes, there are a few episodes, I think I halfway to a maybe the final third of the season where he shines so much like I would rewatch those episodes just to, to look at the kind of performance he did um, I also wanted to uh, give some props to Reese Evans because in the early half of the show uh, it's perhaps not quite clear why he's there um, he, he didn't seem like he was playing a very huge role but by the end of the season he just like knocks it out of the park and you finally get why they cast someone like him to play uh, Otto Hightower who's the hand right and who also has a, a hand in a lot of the machinations that are going on um, I wanted to say Matt Smith my god 
you're not supposed to like that character as much as you end up doing. Nope. Um, he's honestly, on paper, just a vile character. And yet the way Matt Smith plays him, I have so many mixed feelings. I mean, Game of Thrones always does this, right? I mean, Jamie Lannister, same thing. Yes. Um, he, and, and Matt Smith's Damon is the, the Jamie Lannister trope. Um, you mentioned like they tried to like carbon copy or copycat some things from Game of Thrones. Damon is that. Um, but it works because he has his own complexities and he has his own character. He has his own motivations. You kind of understand why he is the way he is. He is Scar and the Lion King. Um, you know, he has been pushed to the side and always ca- being called second fiddle. And then it, it starts to to weigh on him. Um, Viserys, though, the, the thing I love about that character is that it brings up this question of what do you do in those times when you are a peaceful king? You know, like yes. when does the bloodlust kick in? Right? Because you want to leave legacy and you want to leave something behind. And that's the conflict. It's like if a war does not happen and if you are not a king during a war, are you really a king or are you not? Because they call him like Viserys, the, the peaceful. But are they saying that in a good way or is that mockingly? You know, like, are you supposed to be bloodthirsty? Are you supposed to conquer someone else? Um, and it, it's kind of, you, you kind of pity him. It's like, ah, like Kasian, he, he didn't get the chance to do that. But at the same time, he did something really noble. Like he brought peace to a place that isn't used to peace. And he went against the system by backing his daughter, whom everyone mm. said, um, you know, we don't want a female leader. We want a male. You have to name a male A and so on. But he held on to that thing that he promised that he would do. So I honestly, I didn't think I would emerge from the season loving above all else Viserys. Uh, but for me, I'm very... Um, I'm so glad for, if nothing else, House of the Dragon gave us this character and this actor for us to appreciate. Uh, can we talk about the dragons, though? Can we talk about the action oh, scenes? Because yeah. yep, I, yep, I think yep. that it's impossible to review the show without talking about the potential it has for that kind of spectacle. Um, as we said earlier, I'm glad that they didn't go too hard on it. But by the end of the season, I I was so thrilled. Um, I can't remember the last time I felt this thrilled by um, an episode of fantasy television. I was expecting this kind of a thrill from Rings of Power and I didn't necessarily get it. Uh, but the last episode, the last two episodes um, really, really brought the, the spectacle that you want from a show like this. Yeah, I mean, the the whole thing about the original Game of Thrones is that whenever you see Drogon, it's it's never not cool. Like it never gets old. That that sight, um, and this show kind of just like quadruples that in terms of dragons and sizes of dragons. Right? Um, I loved it. I thought the CGI was a bit confusing. Uh, some places the CGI was really good, and then other places the CGI kind of fell apart. Like the green screen was sloppy. Um, I don't know if that's a budget thing or if that's just a pandemic VFX thing. Or, or but they put thing. they put rain in so that you don't you don't <laughs> see some of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And some of it is kind of dark, so it works. But just like I cannot wait to see what happens when they completely unleash the dragons. Um, I, I don't know if I want that to happen very soon. I don't know if they uh, if I want them to keep those dragons as like secret weapons, you know, like if and when sporadically use them. But just watching them on screen, you keep wondering like, how is this TV? Like, you know, again, like Rings of Power, right? I, when I said in the, the pilot review, like when did TV become this actually? Oh, I, I love that. And I loved how they didn't 
once it was time for for them to show us what the dragons can do mm-hmm. um, and what it means, in fact, to have these weapons of mass destruction um, at your disposal, I loved how they really leaned into the dragons have personality. They are not mindless weapons. The riders have a specific relationship with the dragons. Those are important. Um, and I think all of this is to the show's credit, right? We are running out of time, but I wanted to wrap up actually on that point. Um I hope they don't do it too fast as one. I hope they actually keep to the pacing of the season because I think it worked yeah. really well. Uh, they understand that it's not the CGI and the dragons and the spectacle that make the show great. But in fact, it's the making us get invested in the stories first and then unleashing all of this. What do you want from the upcoming season or seasons? Um I don't know about seasons, but the next season, I think, uh, like you said, I want them to stick to this pacing for the most of it. I wouldn't mind uh, an action sequence or two, like a full episode of complete action and war and battles and stuff. Um, but I would like them to focus on the characters because I think like dragons are dragons are dragons, but please tell us proper stories, like focus on the plot, do what Game of Thrones does best. And this show really, really highlights the best of Game of Thrones. Um, I hope they stick with it love, for as long as they can, because th- the older show didn't stick with it for as long as they should have. I'm worried about the the Game of Thrones uh, jumping the shark, honestly, because the, mm-hmm. the last season scarred me in the previous one. Uh, but perhaps this is you know, maybe we can be hopeful that this doesn't have that kind of um, arc that we might be looking for. Honestly, I find myself much less invested in the joining the dots with the, with the former show than I am in just the story this show is interested in telling. Um, so I'd, I'd kind of like to see more of that. Um, let us know. We have been talking about House of the Dragon season one. We very much enjoyed it. What did you think? Are you planning to watch more of it? You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.